Welcome back to Argue With Your Mama, Not Me. It's your host, Kina Zantel. Excited to be here with two of my favorite people. We spent a good amount of time with each other last year, got to kick it, work hard, and, you know, change a few hearts and minds along the way. So I'm excited to introduce my guests for today. Actually, no, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So I'm going to turn it over to Miss India Walton. Thank you, Kina. Thank you for having me. I miss you so much. And I'm so happy to see Drisana. Uh, my name is India Walton. I am the former Democratic nominee for mayor of Buffalo, having unseated a four-term 16-year incumbent and unfortunately lost the general, but still fighting um, in all places where injustice is found. Mm-hmm. Happy to be here. And Ms. Drazana. Yes, thank you. Very excited to be here. My name is Drazana Hughes. I was India's campaign manager um, and now I'm a graduate student getting my master in public policy at Harvard Kennedy School, um, where I'm focused on anti-racist policy um, and state and local government. Listen, y'all, I got the goods on this call, so y'all know this gonna be juicy. And there's so much stuff going on today. Like, I think today has been a rough day. We woke up to some pretty upsetting news. I'm not going to get into it now. I will shout it out at the end of this call. Uh, more than shout it out. We're going to talk about it. But let's just roll into it. So this conversation is going to be about crime. And our first topic is during, you know, the midterm elections around the corner. We will all be voting literally next week. So that's seven days from now. And you all know that like the reason for this podcast is for us to talk about how important the midterms are and what topics are gonna be swaying the midterms. And recently there have been a ton of news articles that have brought to the forefront that crime has actually become one of this country's biggest issues as we get closer to the midterms. It's kind of mind boggling to me that crime is an issue because for me, it seems like crime is really focused in urban areas and gun violence in particular, uh, we find happening in communities of color. It's devastating to think like that. Uh, I think all three of us on this conversation are is pretty tired of it and we're all trying to work towards solutions to fix it. But it's boggling to me that white people who live in these prissy neighborhoods want to put crime as an issue. Like you're, I guess you're sick of seeing it on the news in the first five minutes. Um, because if you're not living in a big city, I'm not seeing how that affects you, right? So I guess my question to you ladies is, you know, has Republican messaging been that on point <laughs> where they've been able to take an, uh, an issue that seemed to be in the back burner and make it number one? And how is it starting to actually trump, no pun or nothing intended with that phrase, but to trump like Roe v. Wade and student loan debt cancellation and the fact that the Mississippi River is like drying up right now. I don't know what's up with democratic messaging, but the fact that crime is rising in the polls is mind boggling. Thoughts about that? Um, I have many thoughts. Uh, first of all, the notion that crime is on the rise is a lie mm. and a dog whistle. 
Um, no police budget in, in a major city was cut. In fact, most of them were increased. Um, and I think that the problem is that our messaging in the Democratic Party and on the left is so reactionary, right? Um, we're always responding to the narrative set by the GOP. Crime in Buffalo is actually down from last year. But I think that what's most important for us to keep reiterating is that the safest communities are not the ones with the most police, but the ones with the most resource, right? Amherst, New York, right down the street, one of the safest communities. Why? Because people make a living wage, they have decent jobs, they have de decent education, they have good quality housing for their families, and we all deserve that. Yeah, I, I agree with India. And, and I, I also think the talking points have gotten wildly more um, extreme. Like you see the, the, the Republican go candidate for governor in New York talking about unseating a democratically elected DA, um, Alvin Bragg, who I used to work for. It's outside the power of the governor. It's not even a real talking point, but it gives people agency. It makes them feel listened to. If you may be someone who is receptive to this kind of messaging, you think, oh man, this guy's gonna do something different. Like he's gonna do something different to fix these problems, which India just explained are not fixable by an invisible removal of someone that you can't even really remove. So I think the points have gotten to your question, Kina, more and more extreme, even though I know we didn't think it could get even worse, it has. And to India's point, we have not talked about the 17 people dead at Rikers this year. Um, we, we, we are very reactionary. We don't bring up the very, very, very real um, issues that could help us on the left make people remember and understand why we put in things like bail reform. Because uh, there's no shortage of evidence that we could still use to explain to people why, um, you know, we don't need to increase police budgets, et cetera. So you mentioned the governor's race in New York that's gotten pretty tight, which as someone who's familiar with New York state politics, I'm not surprised. Two things I want to flag there. And I think this is also an issue for Stacey Abrams. Unfortunately, women have a hard time voting for other women. We know Republican women definitely have a hard time voting for other women. So I think that's a barrier for women running for executive seats that doesn't get talked about, right? Like it's, we already know men are men. <laughs> they already don't like, the idea of a woman in power. But we're seeing that when more and more women because of Roe v. Wade want to go out to vote, they may not vote for Kathy Hochul. I think another thing to bring up is I don't know how popular she is in New York City. And you two may have a, a better idea of that. I mean, Lee Zeldin was an, a Long Island representative from what I believe. Yep. And, and again, he's talking crime with New York City being the largest voting block in the state, right? We're, we all know we all know the numbers. If you win New York City, it's it's pretty much a shoe on that you might win the state because just you can't beat that. The numbers are there. So what do you think about Kathy Hochul's chances? The fact that she's a woman, uh, the fact that she's from Western New York, like what are your thoughts on those things kind of diverging at the right time for Lee Zeldin, a MAGA Republican, I believe. When does this air? <laughs> That's a, I can answer first if India needs to. Um, okay, so uh, a few things there. Um, 
I would love to see her win New York and I would love to see her win. So it's, I think I'd like to acknowledge it's sad that there's lots of these issues coming up regardless of culpability of whose fault that is. Um, and And I think you see efforts from her campaign recently to make sure to quell um, any Republican growth that's happening in the city. So I think about, you know, she released a statement today on Yeshivas um, to make sure to reach back out to that community um, after some pretty serious evidence that folks from those voting blocks are voting for Lily Zeldin, you know, making sure uh, she's reaching out to what should be Democratic strongholds, but could be Republican strongholds in the city. Um, I think there's an amazing, huge effort going on by a ton of Working Families Party folks. Um, And that matters, especially when we talk about a lot of these neighborhoods um, in Brooklyn, um, in South Brooklyn, um, in in Jewish communities. It it matters. They they care what their local representatives are saying. So I would love to see more coordination there and and that continue to um, to speed up. And then, you know, I'm very curious, these visits from... Ron DeSantis, there are all these like these these folks like I don't know that that's very effective in the city, but the city would suffer from lack of turnout for Governor Hochul. So we need folks to be excited that like I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that a lot of the Republican star power um, will carry in a, every single one of these little neighborhoods. But people who are apathetic, maybe don't want to vote. That's not good. So. Yeah, I um where do I start? Um, I've been watching some of the Republican GOTV rallies, and I mean, like, the turnout is more than I would have expected from the GOP in that demographic. And um, also, I think that what the Democrats are doing across the state pales in comparison to the drive that we're seeing. And while we'll talk about Kathy Hochul being a Western New Yorker, I went to the Bills game on Sunday. I didn't see any Kathy Hochul signs. I saw a lot of Lee Zeldin signs. Part of that is just the nature of the Orchard Park community. But everyone thought that the stadium deal was going to be like now Western New York and Erie County is going to have Kathy Hochul's back. And that's just not true. Right. If, If we go by what it looks like on lawns and what you hear people talking about in the grocery store line, it looks like Lee Zeldin is gaining traction. I can also attest that Working Families Party has really brought out all of the stops. It's an all hands on deck moment to be able to support our candidate. And after the Democratic primary, that person was Kathy Hochul. Um, So there's lots of phone banks and text banks and people on the ground. It's a real grassroots effort, um, like how WFP does to make sure that we get that apathetic voter or the person who thinks they don't have an option out to the voting booths to make sure that the voice of working families um, is continued to be amplified uh, here in New York State. So we're we're fighting really, really hard, but I'm telling you, it's not by any means a slam dunk. And I think that there are lots of folks who are not only worried about the top of the ticket, but also some of the down ballot races. And we're just seeing the rise of the of the right continue to grow. So it's clear that it was intentional that they dropped a picture of the Bill Stadium renderings before election day. But if Lee Zeldin wins, is the new Bill Stadium in any danger? No, from an economic standpoint, I can't see Lee Zeldin deciding to 
turn the page on the allotment to the new bill stadium, but he has come out in the paper saying that he's rethinking the bill's deal. And I think that a lot of people had were in the right space when they wasn't filling it. I mean, that was a large chunk of money given to a billionaire money he didn't need and should be putting money out on his own because the bills is a cash cow. Like we're willing bills mafia over here. Okay. So let me throw that out. Let me just let y'all know right now. It's a majority bills mafia conversation right now. So we want the stadium to be built. Right. And we want that pretty rendering, but she took a real risk in dropping all that money with the bills. And Trezana, is that having an effect downstate? Yeah, well, can I say this is a great talking point for a Republican living in New York City. Mm, right. Um, someone in Buffalo, I don't even know where that is. She gave and her husband does what? And like yeah. it spirals very quickly. And um, I think, you know, we saw it in the debate last week. He's bringing it up. I got an email from uh, a leader in Erie County saying, encouraging me to vote for Kathy Hochul. Um, saying that he was going to move the, he can confirm he was going to move the stadium to Austin, Texas. So it's bo- both sides are politicizing the issue, you know, whether that was a good email or not, you know, <laughs> both sides are politicizing the issue. And downstate, there's bipartisan, I would say, malaise about it. Um, yeah. And so it's a great Republican talking point. Mm. Yeah. Now, are you hearing anything on the WFPN on the ground, India? in Western New York, are most folks excited about it? But you did mention that you're not seeing Kathy signs, so it must not matter much. Well, I mean, you know, like I used to tell me on the campaign trail, long signs don't vote. They don't. Um, so <laughs> that's that's the one thing. But I do know that our folks on the ground are super excited to, to vote WFP. A lot of us are still sort of um, surviving off of the energy from last year and also looking forward to putting up working class candidates, building our bench and building our, our pipeline, but also making sure that we can maintain a party line. So when it's time to support truly progressive candidates, we can do that. Um, but also just having a strong showing in the electoral system and saying that working families as a party um, is a force to be reckoned with. And also that the agenda for working class people is one that our government um, and our elected officials just cannot ignore. I know that's right, working families party. Keep it pushing in New York. <laughs> but we're gonna pivot. We're still talking crime and violence, but let's talk a little bit about political violence because we've seen that the rhetoric nationally from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party has gotten a little heated. Now, I think that we all can argue that the GOP has taken it to new levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the weekend, it was reported that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked by a man who came into his house while he was sleeping with a hammer. That is the scariest. I can't imagine being in any elected office and now having to truly think about the safety of my family when the goal of running is to run for other people. Like most good politicians are running because they want to be the voice for the people, right? We hope that that's why they're running. I mean, we can talk all day about ego 
and, you know, wanting to see your name in lights and all of that. But at the end of the day, the reason you run is because you feel like there is a problem and you will be the best person to go take that seat in order to bring things back to your own community. Since Trump ran, rhetoric has gotten pretty crazy. So I guess my question to the both of you is what can we do as local Democrats, right? Because we're we're not on a national level, um, but even that has gotten pretty heated. What can local Democrats and Republicans do to try to be the change agents when it comes to this just heated political rhetoric moment? Um, I think it's unfortunate that we have had we are feeling like we have to resort to you know slander and fear-mongering and smear campaigns in order to win elections rather than running on proactive progressive platforms right rather instead of talking about the issues and how we take care of our people we're resorting to personal attacks and that I think incites and emboldens people to commit acts like the ones that happened um, to Paul Pelosi, which is very unfortunate and super scary, right? Like, um, I think especially as women in politics, we've experienced lots of very tense situations where we didn't know whether our safety was at risk or not. And I just think that it's time for us to all decide collectively that we have to take the higher role for all of humanity, but also just exposing some of the nastiness that goes on in some of these political campaigns and in political circles. And we have to stand up and say that it's just unacceptable and that we won't allow people to behave in this way and continue to remain in office, in positions of power, in appointed positions, and even in the media. These people shouldn't be allowed to spew hate um, and encourage people to commit acts of violence against other folks. It's just ridiculous. I, I, I'm, I was extremely disturbed. I've seen a lot and I was extremely disturbed by that. And, you know, uh, even at the local level, this isn't something that I think will surprise any of us on the call. You know, India, we were very concerned during your campaign about your safety and the safety of your family. So these issues trickle all the way down and this rhetoric trickles all the way down, like to someone like Nancy Pelosi and to a local election like the mayoral election in Buffalo. Um, there needs to be a cultural shift and a cultural change uh, around the way we interact with each other. I think the media has a big role to play as well. And um, what they uplift and what they highlight, because I think they are also very, very responsible for the creation of political creatures like Donald Trump. It's not just mm -hmm. the constituency and him himself. And so I think there's lots of things at play here. I think you feel it in any type of race that asks, um, that, that asks people to really question power and, and, and to really question big issues. And I was deeply disturbed and very sad for, for the whole Pelosi family that they had to experience even a little, little, little bit of that world. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with the two of you. I think that folks are feeling like in order to win, you have to be on an extreme. And just to hear the responses of Republican crowds when candidates make statements about it, 
laughing. This is an older man who was attacked by someone with a hammer mm -hmm. and he was asleep. Like, it's just so unfortunate that we've gotten to where we are in our political discourse. And let's be real. There's the big lie is still, it, it's still winning. It's still resonating. Like these same candidates can't even admit that if they lose the election, they will accept the election results. Like, so there's so many parts of this that make America crazy right now. Like, I, I just don't know, you know, where, where, where do we go when some of these kooks win? Because according to the 538 polls, it's not looking that good. Shout out to 538. But it is not looking that great. All right, we're going to keep going with our conversation. I'm actually going to pivot to today's bad news because gun violence has been a thing for a long time in Black communities. We've had conversations amongst ourselves about Black men and their acceptance of mental health treatment, um, how we raise our sons to accept like to work through anger, you know, what happens when black men get money and the crowds they continue to keep mm. has been a conversation. But I just want to say right now, um, rest in peace to take off a 28 year old member of Migos, which is a rap super group out of Atlanta. Um, he was shot last night at a bowling alley in Houston over an altercation that did not even include him um, and included one of his members who lost some money at a dice game. A damn dice game, y'all. Like, but this, unfortunately, we've actually encountered these things on just on a smaller level. Like we've heard of stories of men getting into arguments at a dice game on the corner and somebody pulling out a knife because they lost some money or they feel like somebody cheated. I just want to get an idea of how you felt when this young, when you heard the news uh, that this young man died. And I'm, and I'm just, I don't know what to say. I'm feeling like rap music is just not the profession that black men should be aspiring to do because it's sounding more and more like a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Nipsey Hussle, um, Young Dolph in Memphis. I mean, what's Pop his name? Pop Smoke. Pop Smoke in LA. Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn but it's okay. Well, but he got shot in LA. <laughs> oh, he got shot in LA. Okay. He got shot in LA. Uh -huh. We just had another rapper who got shot in LA at a Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. <sighs> yes. And mm -hmm. I can't, I, 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 um, I don't even want to kill his name. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, New York, we can talk about um, Chinks. I love Chinks. He died in New York, his home, mm -hmm. at home. So how did you feel this morning? What do you think we can do about this? I Yeah, I think it almost goes full circle to your first point. Um, like race and poverty are linked, race, poverty, and crime are linked. And that doesn't matter if you're a famous rap artist. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, first of all, it, it does to your point, I'm, I'm just 
always really heartbroken at the young black male talent we continuously lose month after month, week after week, year after year. Um, but it goes back to the like original systemic problems we have in society of young men coming out of those neighborhoods. What, what resources do we give those neighborhoods? What does it mean? What life expectancy are you given when you're born a certain race and in a certain place? Um, and no matter your talent, no matter your skill. And um, on, on, on the one hand, it, it makes me more motivated and driven to keep doing this work, to know that it's happening all over the country every day to someone else's son or husband uh, or father. And then on the other hand, um, I don't know, I feel like we just keep losing talent. Like also black art is a whole fraught area of uh, us owning our music, having our own space, having it be someplace for us to, to be. And it feels like our art and our livelihood and our care is constantly under attack also. Um, so a lot of these people are our are, are therapy and are the ways we cope. Yeah. Um, I'm 40, so I didn't really know the news until my sons told me about it. Um, but anytime something happens to a young person, I take it very personal. I have a son who's 25 years old um, and my twins are, are, they'll be 21 next month, but they love the local music scene. And unfortunately, a part of the culture that comes with going to the studio is also the culture that comes with dice games and illicit and other substance use. And I wish that we, are, we were able to have art and beauty and express our creativity without it having to be linked to violence, misogyny, substance use, and all of those other negative connotations that come along with it that ultimately result in the loss of life, whether that's somebody overdosing or getting caught up in a bad dice game or getting robbed because they're wearing you know, a lot of jewelry and they just so happen to be performing in an area of concentrated poverty and disadvantage where somebody feels like their only come up is going to be to rob somebody they might even look up to, right? I think it's very complicated and nuanced, but again, right? Like it's, it's not, we can't place the burden of fixing all of these things on Black women. The brothers got to stand up too. And these industry dudes need to stand up and start talking about this in public amongst themselves, right? And it can't always be us picking up the pieces after everything is falling apart. You know, I was listening to a few folks' commentary on the topic. Uh, and recently, folks have been talking about how, you know, Black machismo, right? I don't even think those things have ever really been put together, but it exists. Is, is rooted in trying to show off for women, trying to show off for the homies, trying not to look like a sucker, right? We have these cultural pulls that lead to these, these arguments that really should be uh, situations where folks can be adults to walk away, but it leads to something crazy. So I think that you two made some you know, extremely valid points uh, on that issue. But another thing to I wanted to lift up about, you know, the situation is the idea that someone felt like we should take some pictures of the body. We should 
videotape offset his his uncle and rat members response to the finding out the shooting uh and putting it on the internet i mean i like i like the good that a cell phone camera does when they capture you know police brutality or even someone attacking you know elderly in a hallway or outside a home like because we need to be able to capture those folks. We need to be able to seek justice in those situations. But it's pretty heart-wrenching to know that his family can go online and watch off, not offset, I'm sorry, Quavo's reaction to finding his nephew dying. Where, where did we get the idea that everything had to be recorded? And TMZ, like, and these corporations that decide that, like, anti-Semitic, you know, visuals and tweets shouldn't be on their platforms, but it was okay to post this young man dying. I'm, I'm, there's clearly a disconnect somewhere, and I can no longer continue to allow it to just be a, well, Black people don't control those spaces Right. So we don't have the power to affect them. But come on, it's got to be some level attacked here. And I'm just not understanding why. So do you have any opinion on this? Tina, we don't control them, but we do consume them. We mm. are their major consumers. When we really get together and say enough is enough, stop watching TMZ. Stop replaying and resharing these tragic videos people are doing it for likes right like there's scientific proof that shows when you post something on social media mm -hmm. the the more likes the more comments the more engagement you get it sets off serotonin receptors mm. in your brain it's like a drug right and until we stop allowing this to be a way for people number one to make money yeah number two a people a way for people who've never done anything to be TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter famous, like we, we have to stop indulging in this type of behavior in mass. And that's the only way that, that is going to stop being popular is when it stops being profitable. Mm. I think India is absolutely right. And I also think we have really bad legal mechanisms to protect victims. Like I'm just thinking about Vanessa Bryant, you know, trying to sue on behalf of uh, illegal images taken of her husband and child. And she has unlimited resources um, and power and is still uh, finding it to be kind of a difficult process. So we, the American government doesn't wanna protect you if, if this is something that happens. Like we, we are not, the incentive structure is to protect corporations, is to protect profits and to protect companies. It's not to protect the, um, the victim of this behavior. We don't really even have the, the incentive structures in place to protect you from something like this. I never even thought about that. I mean, and I hate to bring him up, but we've all heard this story of George Floyd's baby mother deciding to sue Kanye on behalf of her daughter because of him making that statement on Drink Champs. And she's at a different level too of advantage because of just a really tragic situation, you know? There's a foundation, there are lawyers there ready to take up this case and they have the ability to sue someone that's extremely wealthy for talking out his face crazy.
but I just never thought of the idea that the same thing can happen for, you know, takeoff and takeoff's family. And who would he sue? Like, because I mean, if TMZ doesn't post, like, can he, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy to pinpoint that Kanye West made a shitty statement. It's really hard to go after the TMZs, the um, media takeouts. It's just, I'm not really sure we have the recourse there. Yeah, our our laws were made before there was cameras mm-hmm. or <laughs> a, a lot yeah. of these things. And we don't want to modernize. Yeah. Well, Republicans don't want to modernize a lot of those things. You know, there are corporate Democrats out there too. So it's going to go with some with a with some with some money and some Facebook ads. They'd be willing to turn another cheek too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my last question for you, ladies is why is voting in this midterm so important to you? Whoever wants to take the flow first. I'll go. I mean, okay. So first I want to say nothing changes, nothing changes if nothing changes. But I also think that incremental change is better than no change. We saw student debt cancellation. I mean, almost the app is open. They're not being processed, but hopefully we'll win those challenges. But we also saw threats, you know, Roe versus Wade being overturned at the federal level, bail reform under threat at the state level, Um, you know, dealing with our city council people trying to bring the D.A.R.E. program back into the city schools. Like this, these are the fights that happen at the ballot box. And, you know, not only are we able to elect people who will fight for our causes, but your vote also means that you are a voice and that you are able to better advocate for yourself and the people who you represent. Um, And it just, it takes a longer time than we have time to wait. Um, But I think that every little thing that we can do to protect this democracy is necessary and right now is necessary more than ever. We're dangerously close to climate catastrophe, the rise of the far right and extreme nationalism in this country. And, um, you know, the pandemic wiped out a whole generation of elders and folks, and we just need the leadership of our people. And I think that that starts with um, not only voting, but just becoming engaged in the process, knowing who your candidates and your elected officials are and knowing the processes by which you can start to um, advocate and get some problem solved and get some policies changed. So, yeah, I know it seems, <laughs> it seems like we're doing it for not, but um, I can attest that as a person that's been in this fight for a while, um, that voting does matter. Every single one counts. Um, I agree with everything India said. And then also some of the work I do here at Harvard um, is around elections and voting. And there's particularly a record number of election deniers running in generals for secretary of state. I think about seven states. So, and some of those states have strong Republicans at the top of the ticket. So if you think if people are just voting straight down, if we have another 2020 situation, the results could be quite different. So um, if you're a person, regardless of your ideology, but you care about the efficacy of elections, I think there's a big reason to vote um, this time around. And then also there's smaller things like to India's point in New York, there we would just be a lawsuit today from the New York State Republicans, which was trying to make it uh, harder for absentee voters to be eligible to vote 
and to not be able to process your absentee ballots on time. I'm an absentee voter. I care a lot about that. Um, if you are immunocompromised, if you are older, um, all of those things would have disenfranchised you. So there's like systematic ideology aside, sweeping efforts to make voting extremely hard across the country. And so there's been like, it's extremely, really, really, really good time to exercise your right to vote in effort to tell people that you should be allowed to vote. Thank you all so much for joining today's show. This was such an awesome conversation. Again, I want to thank India Walton and Rosanna Hughes for carving out a small amount of time to talk to me and my listeners. I hope all of you gained so much from this conversation. It was a heavy one. It was a heavy one. Usually we end up getting real spicy, but today is just... Today is not that day. Everyone's, it's been pretty deep for everyone. Uh, Pretty emotional for sure. And I want to say to all my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. Um, I really appreciate you. There would not be no show if you did not listen in. So I appreciate that. And like I always end these shows, continue to keep it spicy. That can be in any way you plan to exercise your spiciness. So get out here, go vote. And I will talk to you all later. Bye.